Welcome to Talk Tennis, a podcast created specifically for you, the tennis fanatic. Join us each week as we work to elevate your game both on and off the court. We will deliver fresh episodes to keep you up to date with tennis trends and technologies, as well as exclusive interviews with industry experts, current and former pros, and so much more. Here's your host, Michelle. Welcome to Talk Tennis. Today's guest has such an interesting story and a perspective on the sport. And I normally write out these like long intros, but I think it would be best if he introduces himself. So Tim Foley, thank you so much for joining me and welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for having me. However, icebreaker, I want to do an icebreaker question to kind of like throw it together because I think this can like reel in some listeners and kind of show what kind of thinking that you do when you're on Uh the court and talking about (laughs) tennis. And, And this question has been like perplexed in my head every time I've stepped on the court the last couple of weeks. But do you remember the exact moment when you learned how to recover or move your feet correctly on the court? I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out. <laughs> I feel like, like that is something for me where I was like pulled out wide the other day and I recovered. And I'm like, I can't even pinpoint ever like practicing this. Yeah, no, I don't. It's because it's, it's never the same. It's never the same thing twice. I mean, in, in a regard we spend, and you know, we've talked about this, you and I, but we, we spend a lot of time, it seems to me, trying to memorize the game. Right. And that's what I was hoping, like this yeah. could kind of just kick off kind of a, a conversation about your perspective. And it's so different than so many people right now who are trying to coach or teach this sport. Yeah, it's it, it's <laughs> I mean, it's such a big topic. You don't really know where to start. But, you know, the idea, it starts with like, can you memorize uh, tennis? Yeah, it's never the same thing twice, you know, and so we're we're sort of prescribing these ways of going about the game. You have to hold the racket this way or swing this way or move your feet this way. And then it's never the same thing twice. Yes. And, you, and you're never the same person twice. I mean, you're always going through different stresses on the court. And so the, the idea is like, I, I, you know, what we've, you and I have been talking about is that I think um, it's not, we don't struggle because we don't know the right way to do it. We struggle because we believe there is one. Right. And so we're always dislocated from that. We're always thinking that we're never happy that the ball went in. It's like, oh, it could have been better. <laughs> oh, right. no. See, okay. <laughs> that is, that's just like a little bite-sized amuse-bouche appetizer for our listeners <laughs> because that's what we're going to get into. But I just like wanted to like be able to explain kind of the conversations that we've been having and that's it. And now before we get into a deep dive of that concept and like stop, get out of my head, please. Um, now I'm going to have you introduce yourself and kind of even how do you even know about Tennis Warehouse? What's your story? When did tennis become part of your life? Just just give us the, the full background. Yeah, well, in a, in a nutshell, in a very big nutshell, I've been pretty much playing the game my whole life. And I played in college. I played in junior college and I played in college. I played some pro ball uh I wasn't very good at that, really. You know, there's nothing to talk about there. And in the course of uh, living in San Luis Obispo after college, I met Mark Skabecki. Yes. And we Who, played for tennis. our listeners, they may or may not know, is one oh, of the okay. owners of Tennis yeah. Warehouse. Yes, yeah, so Mark and, and Drew. And so I met Mark and we played a ton of tennis. He's super fun to play tennis with. He's yes. a, 
He's a, I mean, he's an excellent tennis player. Yes. We played a ton of doubles and we were really a good team because that guy can volley. You know yes. what I mean? He, <laughs> he, like you get to the net, he volleys every now and again, I'd run into a return and we, we were like a pretty good team. And I really enjoy him as a person. You know, I love playing with him. He's super fair. He's super honest. And he's just a fun guy to be with. And through Mark, I met Drew. And this was before the tennis warehouse was the tennis warehouse. Mm -hmm. So I met Drew and he was just starting out. He had just bought a small tennis shop and he and Mark were working together. And so I got to know Drew and he's also, you know, a great guy. I mean, you know, I like him both a, a ton. Yeah. And then, you know, periodically I would check in as I was moving around. I check in and see him and this thing. I mean, you know, look where we are here, but it was growing slowly along the way. And uh, you could see it happening, you know, mm -hmm. what was going to happen. And now we're in, I mean, it's hard to imagine what they've done here. Yeah. And when you talk to him about it, they pulled it. Oh, you know, they'll say, oh, shucks, you know, just right place, right time. You know, this is, I mean, there were, as you know, there were a ton of people in the right place at the right time. Right. Drew and Mark saw it so early and it's hard to explain this now, I think to some of the younger people, but you know, when the internet was starting, nobody believed you could sell stuff over it. Yeah. Right. Because it was, it's set up to share. It's not set up to be protective. And so credit card protection was a problem. Security was a problem. And, and everybody was, you know, they were selling rackets for pretty cheap and everybody's really mad about that. And they said, Oh, this internet thing's a flash in the pan. It's going to go away, you know, but they knew it. I mean, they were, they were right on it. Incredibly smart. Yeah. And so, you know, here, so I, I came back after, after my trip and, you know, we sort of reconnected again and been a few years and they're just the same people. I mean, really, they're just, we're all a little bit older, a lot older, <laughs> whatever, right? but I mean, they're the same, same, they're great guys. I really. Yeah. Super down to earth. Mark's one of the most, um, compassionate and giving people, I think. And that's really cool when you have an owner that's so he gives back so much and Drew yeah. is just like brilliant and smart. And yes. So that's like a whole episode on its own. Right. It, but, it really is. Yeah. I mean, but like, so, and for our listeners, Tim was introduced to me by Drew, who was like, you should probably meet this guy. Like, I feel like you might have something to talk about. He might be of interest. And I was kind of like, okay, okay. Um, yeah, you're like, whatever, man. I'm well, I'm like... <laughs> Drew, yeah, doesn't yeah. always listen to podcasts anyways. And he's like, oh, it'd be such a podcast, a good, a good podcast for you guys. So there's like all these kind of weird, not weird, but like ironic. And like, you have like all these like ins to tennis and like your story goes in all these directions and you met these guys and now you're back with these guys. And right. it's just a very cool, faceted, multifaceted story because then you also have had these amazing life experiences and tennis seems like it's always been a big part of your life, your passion, your heart, all of the above. So maybe you can go. And then also you were designing things, you were creating things in the industry. So keep going, keep going. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was an early vendor. Of the, to the tennis warehouse. We, we had a small apparel company. And so this was back in the day. Uh, I don't think you remember this time, but it was, we had these, a lot of boutique brands in tennis. There was tail and it was a much bigger one, but uh, love 40 and Baldematch. Yeah. <laughs> and so we were one of these little boutique brands and we were selling to the, to Mark and Drew. And so, you know, back to the tennis theme for a second, like 
it seems, so this has been my story. Every time I go the tennis direction, things work out. It's just, I, I like hearing that. Cause I've had very, a very similar life path <laughs> where like, I don't know about you, but like, I've uh, had people tell me like, no, you cannot work in tennis your whole life. Like I had someone literally tell me you cannot find a job in an industry where it's someone's hobby. I've, t- I've probably mentioned that before on the podcast. I'm like, watch me. <laughs> right. No, it's, it's really very true. It's, and it's, it's, uh, so life is this sort of a nonlinear thing, mm-hmm. not sort of, it's an extremely nonlinear thing. And people are thinking linear terms and they say, oh, you know, it's a, it's people's avocation. You can't mm-hmm. make a living in this. But of course you can. I mean, when you're following what feels right to you. Passion, you know, man. We had the apparel business. That was a business. And it really wasn't fun. I mean, we did okay, but it really wasn't fun. And when when I would steer out of that into tennis, I was much happier and things just fell into place much more easily for me. And it's always been that way. I mean, it just always has. And you're back here. And like, I, I know. feel like this episode already feels like scattered, but like, <laughs> I never even know how to like, when I am trying to like introduce you to someone that I think would be someone relevant, I'm like, okay, here's Tim. He's done this. He's done that. He's done this. And then this, and then this, <laughs> and there's just like so many pieces. <laughs> you're welcome. The inside of my brain. It's like, uh... <laughs> <laughs> so like, it feels on par to feel like this, this episode might jump around and hopefully for the people listening that like resonate with stories like this, they'll be they'll be right on track and enjoy. <laughs> um, I want you to talk a little bit about your kind of life-changing um, experience that happened with your wife. Yeah. Okay. So basically we woke up one night, I woke up one night and uh, my wife, she was 39 years old at the time. This is uh, eight, eight years ago. I'd say she's lying unconscious on the floor and uh, her eyes are, just fixed like a doll. So, and, and her neck was, it was just throbbing. And, you know, it's very hard to describe what that feels like. Mm-hmm. You just, you know, my, the kids, we have three, we have three kids and the kids are there and they're like, what's going on. And while we're sitting there trying to figure it out, you know, which honestly in my memory feels like it took us an hour to figure out, but it's probably just about a minute. Um, the, the throbbing in her, her heart stopped and she started turning blue. And I have to tell you, that moment was the, it was the most terrifying, most alone moment in my entire life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we called 911. I started CPR. And now at least I knew what to do. There was no pulse, you know. Yeah. So we start CPR and the 911 operator stays on the phone with me. And we lived, you know, away from civilization. And it took them about 11 minutes to get to us. And so... You know, solo CPR for 11 minutes is, uh, it's very difficult. Mm-hmm. And it's not like the movies, you know, where you just kind of go like this. I mean, it's really like a full body thing. So the paramedics come and they take over and they, they put the, you know, the paddles of the defibrillator on her and nothing changes. Mm-hmm. And it goes on like this for a little bit. And so afterwards they load her up in the ambulance and they take her to the hospital. In my mind, it was over. There's just no way. It must have been 15, 16 minutes. I don't know at this point, right? Yeah. But it was so bad that when, so uh, when the when you have one of these events, I've learned everybody shows up, all the emergency vehicles show up, the sheriff shows up, the ambulance, the fire trucks, everybody's there. Mm-hmm. It was so grave, the situation, that when everybody left, the sheriff turned around and gave me a hug. I can promise you, no sheriff has ever hugged me in my life. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, you know, I was certain that in my mind, I had already shifted over to basically funeral planning. And so the kids were uh, like 11 and 10 and five, I think. And so I really delayed the going to the hospital as long as I could. Yeah. Cleaned up. And, and then uh, we pull into the hospital and I was just trying, and I was trying to prepare the kids, you know, I mean, I don't, you just say, it's not going to be good. I told them. And then I was trying to prepare myself not to completely fall apart. Right. Right. In the middle of the place. And so we go inside and, uh, and a, a lady comes running around the counter. <laughs> I think we talked about, it. I assumed it was about the billing. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and so she comes running around the counter and I get out my insurance card and she says, no, your wife's heart's beating again. I just started out of nowhere. And she said, look, she's still very sick, but she's alive, you know? And then you start to think like, you know, you have, uh, I have anyway, these, these, terrible thoughts like you know did I do the right thing if she comes out you know with brain damage or something you know like mm-hmm. you, you know I have to tell you another thought that it came to me was that it, I did it for me yeah. I never thought for a moment if that's what she wanted you know which is it's a weird thought but anyway so she was fine she really was you know there was no lasting effects I mean it's really it's amazing yeah. right it's yeah. really amazing so um, subsequent to that, so there were some other issues and she subsequently had a, a minor heart attack after this. And, you know, they, there was a lot of things going on. It took about a year for her to get, you know, back up fully healthy. But she was back home within a few weeks and living a normal life. It just took a year to stabilize everything. But in the course of that time, you know, we started to think about life a lot. And for me, those moments, like another thing that I've learned from other people who have been through this kind of a thing is that mm. the people who die, it's actually a little bit easier for them. <laughs> if they, because they, <laughs> like they don't, she didn't have any memory of it. She, she just went, remembered going to bed and then she woke up in the hospital with a couple busted ribs. Yeah. Like, ouch, like, well, but in that period of time for me, my entire life narrative was exposed as a fraud, Right. I had a custom house, I had money, I had cars, I had things, all the things that I thought would, would make me safe, right? But you, you can't bribe the reaper. Yeah. <laughs> right? I'm in there and I really, as I'm giving CPI, I, I was thinking to myself, you're such a fool. You just, mm-hmm. you know, we, we all talk about, we all say, right? That, oh, I know life's short. I know I'm going to die. But then if you ask them, do you think you're going to die today? No. Why? Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly the way I was. But when I left that after that experience, I now think every day, every, it, there's no promises. Right. Um, every day is the oldest we've ever been. It brings with it the greatest chance we've ever had of dying. And we just put it out of our minds and go about doing our thing. Uh, so in that period of time, we can't, we sort of came up with this plan to um, do something different. So we got rid of the house. We got rid of the, all the stuff, which was really hard to do. Right? Mm. Both, but it was very psychologically hard to unravel all the that we built, you know. And we we sold the house, and we came up with a plan to move into a camper, and then travel around for a little bit and just see what happened. I, I think I, I did tell you this that the last we spent the last night in our house, and it was completely emptied out. Mm-hmm. And the last day was like this complete mad dash to get rid of everything because you think people are going to want your stuff, but they really don't want it. 
<laughs> but we're just like begging people. I was thinking, you know, we had these, we had this big couch and I thought, oh, we'll get like, you know, a couple grand for the couch. I had to give it away. Yeah. Uh, and, and it was all at the last minute. So we finally get everything out. We're laying in this big room that we'd spend so much time in watching movies and cooking is this very cool room with a fireplace. And we're all just sleeping on the ground. Everybody's asleep. We're leaving the next day. And I thought to myself, oh, my God, you have totally ruined everybody's life right now. <laughs> I was like so sure I ruined everybody's life. I, could, I couldn't sleep. It was terrifying. I was absolutely terrified. And so we pulled out of town with one rule. And that was, we can't talk about change for six months because going from, you know, this big life to this, what, what I thought would be a little life mm-hmm. is such a tectonic shift that it's going to come with all kinds of problems. And so, you know, you just have to give it time to settle in. But I'm telling you within like three weeks, everyone knew it was the right thing. Yeah. Everyone was di- happier, different. Like it wasn't a small life at all. Right. It was a huge, we were in in huge wide open spaces mm-hmm. and everybody was happier really and and doing different things and it, it, we never had the six month talk <laughs> just kept going <laughs> yeah we we really just kept going and so from from there we we drove to mexico then everyone assured me that um well that's fatal you, you can't take your, your family to mexico what you know that's that's a, you're totally irresponsible that was great. We had a great time in Mexico. And, we, you know, at the end of our visa, we were down in southern Mexico. Let's go to Guatemala. And it just kept going like this. And then ultimately, we drove the Pan American Highway all the way to southern Chile. I wish I could do it again. I mean, I wish I could have the not just do it again, but start again without knowing because it was really that much fun. Well, and then just like that whole experience, I'm curious if you can pinpoint that like before you had a different outlook on life and then after your outlook changed or you've always been very philosophical is too broad of a word, but like you'd obviously definitely have more of a, like, let's, let's take a look at what's really going on instead of like, like you're never, it doesn't ever seem like you're quick to jump to a conclusion. You're like, okay, this is happening because X, Y, Z, or like, I'm feeling this because, and do you feel like this whole, this, this life change change the way you saw life, change the way you saw tennis, change the way you saw parenting, change, or, I mean, I would assume, yeah, (laughs) go ahead. (laughs) Yeah. I I think that's, that's, that's really true. Um, so really what screwed me up the most was having kids. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) I, I, when it was just me, I, I would, you know, just sort of live my, I didn't really worry about it. Right. And I never had a bunch of stuff you know, I lived out of a bag most of the time just from playing tennis. And I, it was a lifestyle that I really enjoyed just kind of wandering around doing stuff and teaching, you know, but when you have kids, you start to think, is that fair for children, you know? And so I didn't know anything about children. And I would ask people like, what happens when, you know, and there's the, and they would say things, oh, kids need a schedule and they need these <laughs> things and they have to be this way. And, and so not knowing, I listened. And then I found myself in this big mess where I have this huge house and all this debt. You know, I'm in debt for 27 years now. So, you know, I mean, that was my mortgage, right? And so I was really of two worlds, right, at that moment when it happened. And I didn't, I don't think I told you this, but as it was going, progressing, I ended up in, in the hospital. I got really sick. And part of me was like, was trying to hold on mm-hmm. to these things, right? It, it was like, it's like, you, it said you, it was like, you spent so much time doing this. You, you got to hold on and make it right. And there was another part of me that, that wanted to let it all go. 
Yeah. All of it. Right. And it was like this, this battle going on in my head. I thought it was in my head, but then I started to get these really these serious abdominal pains. I was pretty sick. I didn't get out of bed for a few days. I lost a bunch of weight, you know? And so people were starting to worry and I felt very nauseous and, and then it would come and it would go. And finally I promised my wife, my wife, I said, okay, if it happens again, I'll go to the emergency room. So it did happen. I go to the emergency room and I mean, in tremendous pain, really a lot of pain, so much pain. They gave me a narcotic, right? Which by the way, was very good. (laughs) (laughs) So it was really an awesome experience. And then they take me in for a scan and there's nothing. Stress, you know, stress, yeah. man. Well, we, we talk about these things, you know, especially in our profession, right? We talk about these things being in your head. Yes. And I don't think we give that the service that it deserves because it may be in your head, but it's as real as it could be. Mm-hmm. And that's the first thing you came. I, and I asked him, I said, you know, you're telling me this is psychosomatic. And he said, well, I'm not telling you that, but I'm telling you there's nothing wrong where you're telling me there's something wrong. Well, and that's the thing. It's like, so your story is so cool, but like, then there's just so many adjacent, like tennis adjacent ways that we can go with this because all of a sudden we're, we're seeing players dealing with mental health, mental health. I'm putting quote unquote, or we all know Marty Fish's story where he was in this extreme stressful situation or his body was reacting with stress and anxiety, or his mind was reacting with stress and anxiety. And then it began, um, to impact his performance physically and stuff like that. So for me, in this case, I made a decision, right? We, we finally, I just got to this point. I made a decision. We're, we're going to do it. We're going to do this trip. We're going to do this thing. And it went away. <laughs> Probably um, like immediately. <laughs> pretty qu- yeah. Pretty quickly. It, it went away. And I'm not and so like, this is all retrospective looking mm-hmm. back over. It didn't, it wasn't that clear to me at the time. And I'm not even sure that that was really the case, you know, but it's just what it feels like to me. Because when I did, when we finally made the decision, we had a course of action, mm-hmm. it went away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, I mean, we see, look, we, when we talk about ten, tennis is a game, all right, it's games are fun. Games, I believe the origin of games is self-discovery. But when we talk about tennis now, and when we talk about tennis at the upper levels of the game, right, that informs the lower levels, I, mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah. And so at the upper levels, we're talking about, you know, grinding out matches, <laughs> you know, bringing your lunch pail to the court, uh, working points, right? There's no fun. There's no fun in the game. And, and we're always obsessed with the better players, right? But at the recreational level, which is 99.999% of tennis, also people aren't having fun. Yeah. I was going to say the first time we hit, actually, there was something that you said that I was kind of like, he's right. <laughs> And I remember we were talking and I was like, I just want to hit. I just like to hit. And you're like, I'm up for whatever. And then so I was talking to you and I said, yeah, you know, I'm just one of those players. I just like to practice all day. I just want to hit. And you're like, that's because it's fun for you. You're not training for a tournament. You're not training to be a pro. You're not training for anything. You have fun hitting the ball. That's why you like to hit. That's great. Have fun with it. Like, you know. Stop, you know, and I can, I could tell you didn't say this, but it was kind of like, why are you getting mad? Because you missed a forehand or kind of like, why are you getting mad at yourself? Cause your feet weren't in perfect position on that single ball. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I think, and, and we drive ourselves crazy. We mm-hmm. really do. Mm-hmm. You know, we're never happy. The ball goes in. That wasn't good enough. It was, it's, you know, and I, and it's just because it's these, it's the, it's the culture of improvement. You know mm-hmm. I mean? We're, 
every everything's supposed to be getting better all the time. It's like productivity porn, you know, it's like, oh, <laughs> if you, you know, I mean, fun is not acceptable anymore, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and, and I'm not saying frivolous fun or like, you know, the culture of happiness. I'm saying fun, you know, I mean, the, that moment in my life when, when I had to go through the CPR, okay, mm-hmm. that was as important to me as anything. Life, you know, is not always happy and fun. That that changed my life. It was a huge moment for me, but it was excruciatingly painful. You have to balance that out with something, right? And if you take all the fun out, there's nothing left. And you know, it's like you're talking about playing matches, and oh, if if, if I don't win, I'm a failure. I mean, who really freaking cares, right? right? Who cares, you guys? Who cares? Out there, hit balls or running around, where you know, and it's it's fun to play matches because it's it's just it's. It's just another way of hitting the ball, like keeping score and, and giving each other a hard time. I mean, it's just, it's unless you take it very seriously. Right. And I think that's the trap we've fallen into, you know, and if you could show yourself right now, if you could take your game that you have and show it to your 10 year old self, you'd be thrilled, (laughs) but you're not happy with it. No, of course not. I know. I know. It's just, it's like getting on a bus that never gets anywhere. Yeah. You know, this idea of improving all the time. And it, and it means that we're constantly working on our game. We're never enjoying it. And that means we're never done. Right. And I, and I ask people all the time, I, I th- do you work on walking? No, you, you've got it. You know how to walk. You don't think about it. And now you walk to do other things. I mean, it's not really that hard to hit a tennis ball. Mm-hmm. You've got it. You know how to do it. There's nothing to think about. Now you can get on with the, with the playing of the game. Yeah. But nobody does. No. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and that could lead straight into like, I would love for you to give um, kind of an overview and perspective of like your coaching, like quote unquote philosophy, because you even told me a story how like someone called you up and was like, Hey, we'd love to have you join our team, coach the sky. And you were like, cool, great. I can do it remote. And they're like, yeah, no. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So like, I mean, you know, to be very brief about the whole thing, it started when, when, um, when I was questioning life, right? so there's a life narrative about things and responsibility and all this stuff. And so I was pretty much tackling that head on. And you find out how untrue many of these, these, these stories you've been navigating by are. And then it just seemed to me that, well, that was like the evolution of the idea was it's true all the way down through my profession, through, through coaching too. Yeah. Right. And when we're instructing people, we don't even think about how people learn. So when I'm talking to my colleagues, you will talk and say like, okay, so how does somebody learn? Mm-hmm. You know that nobody knows how we learn, right? It, n- nobody really knows this. We have maybe 80 or 90 billion neurons and we, and between those, there's maybe a hundred trillion, hundred trillion connections. And at each connection, there's maybe a thousand proteins in different strengths, right? Mm-hmm. And if we could take a video of your brain, we can't, but if we could, as you learn, mm-hmm. it would only be uh, useful to you because no two brains are the same. Right. So how can we say we're teaching if we don't really know how people learn, right? And really, there's nobody who has this pinned down. Okay, so meanwhile, we have, you know, what, what we could call the physical side of tennis is skill acquisition, right? Right. So we have sort of, yeah, basically, for a long time, we had one model, which was the information processing model, which all, it all happens inside of you. Mm-hmm. Now, you and I have been through this, down this road long, more than most people hitting balls, and we know that something's not there that it's just not all inside of us. Right. And what we believe is we, we, or at least I should personalize this. What I believe is, is that they were saying like, okay, so here's this great player. He memorized the game, but you didn't. So therefore you don't, you're not talented. 
I believe I, I believe that. You know, I'm not talented enough. That's a very limiting idea when you think about that. You know, it's not all ha- it's not all happening in here. Where's it all happening? And I stumbled across as I was you know thinking about this. I stumbled across this other field of thought called ecological dynamics. And in this school, the brain is not a, a store of information. It's like a radio. It tunes into information. This makes a ton of sense to me. Your experience with the game is personal, and it's you fine-tuning the information that on any given day. The wind, the sun, the different player, the court surface, uh, the conditions are always different. Yeah. And it's a fascinating concept to me. It, it just says so much about because when as, just to take a step backwards from there, if you take any 20 kids and you put them on a court and you let them hit for an hour, mm-hmm. don't give them any instruction. You'll see them all gravitate towards the same motions automatically. Not all, you know, exactly the same, but you'll see them all start to do the same. Where does that come from? So then if we're not teaching people how to hit, how to do things, what what do we do, right? What would we do in an information and then ecological dynamic situation? Mm -hmm. And this is where we've been talking about, you know, creating information rich environments so that people can learn the game faster. Keep the learning curve steep. You know, that's what, that's what drills are about is, is maximizing the, the reps per minute. Mm-hmm. So we design these information-rich environments where they can speed through, but not reps, iterations. Where And so, you know, I'm always encouraging people to try, show me as many different ways as you can hit a forehand. It, totally explore it. Mm-hmm. We'll take right and wrong off the table, totally explore it and see what you come up with. Yeah. And I'm telling you, people find it. They find it, you know, and... And so this gave me this idea that I don't think you and I have talked about this, but it gave me this idea that because I consider this, this, I consider tennis people's art. I consider a tennis player an artist and they're creating as they go along. And so I consider now an instructor, not somebody who gives you information or my role, I should say, is not somebody to give you information that I have and you don't, but it's to protect, to protect your creativity. Yeah. That's right. Because the moment I tell you how to do something, you're no longer creative. You're copying. Well, and that brings up something when we were hitting and I have always been told if you're going to miss, you miss long. And you were told the opposite. If you're going to miss, you're going to miss in the net. And just even that belief right there, my whole life, I have always said, if I'm going to miss, I'm going to miss long. If I miss in the net, that's stupid. I should never have done that. Why would I ever miss in the net? And like, even just something so simple like that. If I, if that was removed from my brain. Yeah, no, it's, it's really, you know, when, when somebody says to you, a student says, how do I do this? How do I hit a second serve in the box? And then, you know, you give them this detail. Oh, your elbow has to be here. And we have to do this, the back scratch. What is the next question? Every single time did I do it right? They don't even look to see if the ball went in the box anymore. Right. They now need to do it the right way. There's an intermediary in between them and what they want to do. And they'll never get over it. They will never get over that. One of my favorite things that I keep telling, I'm working with this 11-year-old girl, and she's very petite, small. Her ground strokes are awesome, very well-developed, which I think at this age, that's what a lot of coaches, teachers, pros focus on. You bring her up to the net, and she's just not as comfortable. The racket's wobbling in her hand. She doesn't have the strength to hold straight. So, of course, I'm like, well, let's swing. Let's let's hit swinging volleys. And she's just mashing the ball, like amazing, like killing the ball with these swinging volleys. And I said, okay, if you ever go to another coach and they say, why are you doing this? You can say, because I'm good at it. Like, this is fun. This is how I like to hit the ball. It goes in like, 
why is, why do we have a problem with like, she's not traditionally hitting a punch volley with one hand, you know, but she's making the ball. She's having fun as she's hitting it. She sees no problem with a swinging volley. You know what I mean? No, I do. It's the belief in right and wrong ways, isn't it? Yes. Right. And, and furthermore, you, you, you see these, you know, even very good players, I get the feeling that not playing the game, that it's like a recital that you're just going through the motions of doing this, the swings. But, you know, if you turn somebody loose and you, and you explain the game to them first, and then you say, now go play, they come up with all sorts of creative ways of doing this. Right. It doesn't have to just be two balls to the forehand, one to the backhand, two right. to the forehand, one to the backhand. They can look different. <laughs> yeah. Or where they, where they stand or they come to the net or they, they do all kinds of different things. And, you know, you get to watch them and then you, you ask them like, okay, so what's it feel like? What's going on? What do you, you know, where do you want to be? Because it's yeah. their game. It's their game. It's their art. You can't, there's no right way to make art. Well, and I can't believe like we've already been talking. <laughs> this is what happens every time we have a conversation. <laughs> it's like, okay, an hour later. Okay. So I guess I just really wanted our audience to kind of like hear the basis it, because for some people it is a very like different thought especially when you are trying to learn tennis or if you've never experienced this kind of thinking you know it can be it can feel like uncomfortable to like be outside of the like well your technique has to be just right um so i think these are really fun conversations and i think our audience would really resonate with it and appreciate it so i just kind of wanted to give like an introduction to right, yeah. thoughts so if there's anything more that we should say before kind of wrapping this one and then like being able to dive deeper into some cognitive thinking in another <laughs> episode <laughs> oh my gosh i'm yeah. a philosophy degree person so Sometimes my brain's just like, it's a, it's a mint. Everything's mental, isn't it? I mean, really, I mean, it's all it. So beyond all this other stuff, it's mind. It always boils down to mind. You know, it's always you dealing with your mind. That's what, you know, everything we've talked about here. I mean, the common thread is me, you know, as going through with what happened to my wife, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. the stress of, of doing things, raising our children a different way. It was always mind. Yeah. It's, we, we, once our, I think once our basic problems are solved, you know, food and, and shelter, right? Mm -hmm. We solve all of our problems externally. Have you ever had that thought? I mean, it's always, it's like, we're always exercising our demons outside, <laughs> right? But they're, they're ours, right? We're projecting oh, yeah. them to other people where, oh yeah. Yeah. I, I think of my eyes more like more of uh, projectors than receivers, you know, and you, you look around and you see ang somebody's angry. That's probably not necessarily the case. Well, and something that always sticks with me too is like your emotions and what you're feeling is what you allow rather than what someone has caused you to feel. It's how you're interpreting this. And like this also for anyone listening, that's like goes way back in tennis. Like there's so many mind Fs. <laughs> like we as tennis players, there's so many things where I'm like, holy crap, that that's coming up because when I was this age, I was told this and that, and it's like. I got to And you've said this and it's like, you got to kind of just flip the switch and be like, I'm going to release this thought. We're going to change our patterns. And like, that's also such a huge part of <laughs> this is such like a bigger conversation yeah. than just Dennis. Well, no, you, I think you're right. And it's really interesting. So going back to the person who, who thought that you couldn't be taught online. Yes. Uh, 
So <laughs> the idea to me is that since games are about self-discovery, the masters of, of a game, the master of a game is someone who has, has mastered themselves. That's what we're talking about. So, you know, you know, Roger Federer, clearly, I, I don't know anything about this guy, but it looks to me like he's completely mastered himself. Yeah. <laughs> now, you could do it at, say, 40 years old, but you're not going to be Roger Federer because, you know, time, time's not on your side. You're just yeah. little, but so when you're talk, what we're talking about is questions of self-mastery, mm-hmm. not how to hit a tennis ball. Right. You know, and these are things where like, you know, there's no advice. I don't know what's best for you. I, I barely know what's best for me. <laughs> yeah. To say that I know what's best for you to, to prescribe thing, you know, to direct somebody in a certain direction, I think is inappropriate and accurate. The, it's the questions you ask people. And so you, you, you look at somebody like this and they tell you what's going on. I mean, I can remember being so nervous in a match. I could barely hold my racket. Like uh, just a basic forehand would be like, oh, like, what, what is that? I mean, it's a, it's a game. I've hit a billion forehands in my life and suddenly this one's difficult, right? And so you ask, the, you hear these stories and the question is like, you know, okay, what's stopping you? It takes a long time to figure that out. You, you keep redirecting. So the person wants out, I think, right? Mm-hmm. They, want, mm-hmm. they want out. They want to buy a solution. Can you sell me a solution? Oh, the yeah. new forehand, a new forehand grip. Exactly. Or, or, you know, this or that. And, but you keep directing them in. You don't let them out. You keep pushing them back. <laughs> they can't get away from themselves. And it's not everybody who wants to deal with this. No, it's right. scary. It can be right. scary. <laughs> when you solve it, the game's fun. Yeah. And that's really what people want. They just want to have fun. I, I believe everybody. I mean, Naomi Osaka, right? Mm-hmm. She just wants to have fun. Yeah. But it, she can't right now because everything's too much. It's too, every, every shot is an affirmation of her as a person. I, yeah. And that, and despite us all not being pros, that resonates with a lot of players. I think, I think, I don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I wrote a, this book, right. And that was the point. The point of the book was it's really just a first principles. Look at the game, irreducible truths. Right. And what I came to is that basically tennis is a contest to see who can hit the most balls in a rectangle. Mm-hmm. That's it. <laughs> right. I, stop me if you disagree. I mean, we, <laughs> but so if there were judges involved giving style points, right, we could say it's about, okay, technique, mm-hmm. like figure skating, you know, like you, sw- okay, that's a nine, you know, but it's not, it's just whether it goes in or, or doesn't go in and nobody really approaches the game that way. And, and it's just, so the book was really just about, so I split the game into two, right? Serving and re- it's two games in one really to me. And both of those games are, are you know, serving is a meta skill right? and returning is a meta skill. It's not just how to. It doesn't matter how good your serve is necessarily if you're playing amongst equals, mm-hmm. right? It's how well you play a serve game. And that has to do with understanding the game, right? Understanding the points. Like people will act as if hitting a down the line winner gets some more points than just having a 10 <laughs> ball rally. But it's not true, right? Right. And then it has to do with the geometry. So there's no technique in the book, but this is a book that I wish I had when I was 19 years old because. If you read it, you'll understand the game better. And that makes you better immediately, not like in a month, immediately. Yeah. It's just the geometry, right? And, and some thoughts about the game itself and then what we're training for, mm-hmm. which is fun. I mean, that's all really people want to have. It's, fun. it's all I want. It's all you and I want. We just go out there and hit the ball. Yeah. Right? I'm, it's not fun when you hit the ball super hard at me. But <laughs> Sorry. That's really fun for me. <laughs> you hit the ball super hard sometimes. <laughs> 
that's fun. I don't know. I get, yeah, that, that, like, that is the definition of fun. I get trolled so much and I shouldn't admit this out loud, but I get trolled so much by people on YouTube and everywhere else, um, because I smile, um, in play test videos and I'm all I want to say to all you trolls out there is like, (laughs) if you felt what it felt like to hit the ball as hard as I do, sometimes you would be smiling ear to ear. Uh, and, <laughs> and I, I can see it coming too. I'll lay one over there and your whole body changes. You get like, and you're like, Oh my God, here it comes. Like that to me, like ugh, it's, it's an indescribable feeling, but that is tennis. That is the fun of tennis. That's yeah. what keeps me coming back every day. <laughs> yeah. And so that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, simple. Yeah, really. It really is that simple. I mean, the rest of it, you, the rest of it is just, um, you know, I guess it's maybe a little bit more fun, you know, to play a way that you think you could play, but I really think if you release yourself from these expectations, it's just fun. It's just fun all the time. Well, and it's been cool for me too. Um, again, coaching this like 11 year old, she just picked up tennis within the year and she's got so much natural talent, but she's coming from a sport where she was judged on how things looked and she burnt out. And I can tell that she just loves tennis. So as I'm working with her, I don't ever want to put pressure on her where she's like, nope, I'm out. This isn't fun. And it's like, what, what do you want to do today? you want to play mini tennis for a half hour? Like, cool, let's play mini tennis and work on our hands. And like, let me show you this. And if she walks away smiling, happy, excited to come back again next week, then I feel like I've done my job because she's not getting burnt out. She's not being told, no, this is wrong. She's not being, you know, and it's been a very interesting perspective in my head. Yeah, no, it's a huge touchstone coaching autonomy. Yeah. Letting the, letting the the players have autonomy. Yeah. And- in their instruction and in their, and, you know, it's ownership is, mm-hmm. is what it boils down to. And it makes, you know, and, and so you're, I, th- you know, I think we have, we're similar minded here, but the idea is, is that we're more like ambassadors for the game. Yeah. I, I have no interest in developing player player development is teaching people to turn play into work. Yeah. Right. That's why we can't develop players because we ruin everybody. You know, the, you look at all the attention. This is a funny one, right? You look at all the attention that goes into the top players. They don't need any attention. They're fine. The attention should go to the players that that aren't doing so well, right? But that's not how we think about it. But as an ambassador, we just don't want to turn people off to the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we love it so much. The odds of anybody going on to do something, you know, it's not even worth thinking about. But the odds of somebody having fun, it should be 100%. Well, I don't want this one to go super long because I know we could make it super long. (laughs) But, and again, it feels a little scattered, but like at the end of the day, I'm like, how do I even like attack? It's so, it feels so, there's so many stories. Um, But I wanted to just give our listeners like a taste, a taste of what kind of conversations we can have. And even if someone listening has a question on how to handle a certain experience, we'd love to hear from you guys. So feel free to email podcast at tennis-warehouse.com. And Tim has this amazing website or blog. We can call it whatever you want to call uh, what it. What would you call it? It's just like this. It's just like what we're doing right it's here. Just, it actually is yeah. just like this. You guys, it's so interesting. There's so many facets to your life. You update it very often. Um, so it's very, yeah, I there'll try. be times where I like pop up. I was like, oh, he updated it yesterday. And there's coaching and there's travel stories and tennis and life and just kind of perspective. I mean, you probably could speak to what all it is. You got it. That's it. I, just stuff, you know, these, 
you think about it and you, it's, I mean, I guess it's all, it's all similar in the sense that it's pretty heretical. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, but it's, but I, it's honest. I mean, what I, what I could say is it's, it's, it's not written to sell and it's honest, you know, it's just it's how I, you know, we, not just me, my, my family, my kids, you know, we've challenged these, these long established narratives yeah. and found them to be severely lacking, you know, honestly. And, and so we're, you know, we, we, I, I talk about it a lot, but we gained really, we gained everything by get, giving, getting rid of everything. You know, it's not the way you think it's going to go, but we, we gained so much through this trip and we had, we had nothing. Yeah. You know, all I wanted was time with my family, right? It's, I mean, if you, you think about a normal family, right? But briefly, like everybody separates every day to go make their living in ways unrelated to each other. This is what we were doing, right? And one of the things, it's a funny thing, but as I was giving CPR to my wife, these, I, I had these, like, I don't know how to describe them, but very profound realities became instantly obvious. Mm-hmm. And this was one of them. Mm-hmm. That if we kept doing what we were doing in 20 years, I wouldn't know my kids. I probably wouldn't know my wife either if, if she survived, right? Because this is how we do it. And then the kids go to college and, and we think this is great. And I'm not saying it's not great. And I'm not saying I have anything figured out. But that's not why we had kids. We didn't have kids to, you know, incur all the expenses, deal with them as teenagers. And then when they get cool, you know, become <laughs> like, a, yeah, <laughs> become an inconvenience, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so it just seemed obvious to me that we needed to come up with a way that we did it together. And so like here, we're working, my kids, my, my boys are here together, cool. right? We work together, they're 19 and 18 and me, and we get to work here. We have lunch together. Oh, I and, love that. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, and so it's because it's because of this, right? It's because we found a way to do this all together. And so we're much closer. And, uh, I mean, it's really everything I, I hope for, to tell you the truth. Yeah. And I think we've kind of mentioned, or I've mentioned this with you also, is like, maybe this conversation does not resonate with everyone listening right now at all. But I know, yeah, there's some people that are like, whoa, that's wild. That's crazy. That's not me. But I know me personally, like I'm very much like everything happens for a reason. It's very like, just even me meeting you and being able to discuss, it's right. like, I feel like, you know, what it's so cliche, but like every little thing that happened in your life to get you here at the same time that I'm here. And now, we're, you know, Drew happened to introduce us. It's just stuff like that just resonates with me. And I don't know, it all feels like we're all intertwined and there's a something more. And like, we're all trying to be better versions of ourselves each day. And like, however we need to get there, if whether it's on the tennis court or listening to podcasts (laughs) and for you know and we we met through tennis yes right it's again it's again that that's that tennis connection right and so the the theme you know i think you had uh you were one podcast i saw here is called the tennis life the title of it was a tennis life Uh roy barth maybe Um, yes yes yeah so yeah it's it's this theme it's a tennis life right i mean and it's this is through these things that it happens and even for my kids who don't play a ton of tennis right they're involved in this current of tennis also. It's like one degree of separation too. Once you're in it, it's wild. Yeah. The tennis world is pretty small. Yeah. It's pretty small. Pretty <laughs> it's small. wild. Um, tell us the name of your book. Give us your website link and we'll wrap it. Okay. The book is called The Art of Holding Serve. And the website is Clunk Monkey. www.clunkmonkey.com. 
M-O-N-K-E-Y. How to spell that right. We'll link it in the <laughs> yeah. show notes too. I just remember when uh, Drew was telling me about you, he's like, he has a website. It's called Clunk Monkey. And I'm well, like, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. And also I should say, I'm not saying I'm right about anything. Right? <laughs> so for those who think this is a little bit out there, I'm not saying I'm right. This was right for us. It worked for us. But I'm not saying that I have the keys to reality. Definitely I don't think good. anyone has those yeah. keys, sir. <laughs> but we'll, we'll we'll be in search of them, at least. <laughs> never ending. It's a never ending process and always fun conversations. And I do encourage anyone that's listening who is kind of like more, I guess, I don't know. I always feel left brained, likes to think things out, likes to be philosophical, less tactical, a little bit more <laughs> like let's process. Um, feel free to reach out to us and let us know how our this episode, this chat, resonated with you and like what kind of conversations you'd like to see us continue to have. And as it relates to your tennis game too, because that's kind of what we're getting into. There's a deeper, there's a different way to play the sport and enjoy the sport. And it doesn't have to just be like making sure you have the most perfect forehand. So it's me. It's really who has the most fun wins. Yeah. Well, I'm going to end a pause us here and then look forward to recording more deep dives with you, Tim, but I do appreciate you sharing your story and getting super personal with us on Thank the you. podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. It was of very, course. very nice. Tim and I usually it's like a um, 45 minute hit. And then I don't know, a conversation to follow. So we do the tennis and the physical side and then the mental side of it. <laughs> So we'll have to set that up and then plan for another podcast. Perfect. Awesome. Okay. Well, everyone listening, thanks for listening and happy hitting. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you download your episodes. And be sure to visit our websites for all of the tennis deals at tenniswarehouse.com, tenniswarehouseeurope.com, and tennisonly.com.au. Hope you enjoyed this episode. And until next time, happy hitting. Happy hitting.